So if anybody had to prolong their tightening cycle a little bit, it's probably the Bank of Canada versus the Fed. Welcome to ETF Market Insights, a podcast where some of Canada's leading investment experts guide you through the world of exchange-traded funds. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and welcome to our Market Insights podcast. My name is Erica Toth, and I'm Director of ETF Distribution for BMO ETFs for Eastern Canada. And I'm joined today by my colleague, Alfred Lee, Investment Strategist, Director, and Portfolio Manager at BMO ETFs. Alfred's been putting together our quarterly strategy report and its corresponding ETF model for 10 years now. We celebrated our 10-year anniversary uh, in 2022, so it'll be our 11th year as we head into 2023. Now, 2022 was a tough year for investors. We saw both equity and bonds dropping by double digits, but we're starting to see some indication that inflation may be starting to peak. We saw shipping costs returning to pre-COVID levels, and year over year, as of end of December, lumber costs are down a whopping 67%. Copper and aluminum are down about 15%. Yet we are still seeing that there's some types of inflation that are stickier and will take longer to play out in terms of their impact on the market. So I'm referring to uh, the impact of higher mortgage rates, um, higher energy costs, and also food. So Alfred, as we kick off 2023, what's your outlook? Well, I think you're right. I mean, you know, 2022 was definitely a very tough year. You know, as you mentioned, um, both equities and bonds were down on the year. And it's, you know, very uncommon that you see both asset classes not only down, but down considerably on the year as well. So not a whole lot of bright spots in terms of, you know, where investors could hide. And that's why you know, we've seen a lot of investors go to cash. That's why we saw cash or cash like ETS really just dominate a lot of the fund flows this year. You know, you and I have been huge advocates of, you know, not timing the market and staying invested all the time. But with the difficulty that we saw in the markets, I could understand why investors chose to sidestep the volatility and move into cash. So as you mentioned, you know, equities and bonds were down. The MSCI world was down about 11% in Canadian dollar turns on a total return basis. Canadian equities fared a lot better. So I think Canadian investors um, got away a whole lot better, given that we were a lot more sheltered due to the strength of the energy markets. So when you look at ZCN, which tracks the S&P TSX composite, that was down about 5% on the year. ZAG was down actually more. So fixed income actually underperformed Canadian equities. So ZAG, which tracks the FTSE TMX Canadian bond universe, that was down 10%. So in 2020 and 2021, when you look at both those markets, I would say you know both those markets were driven by low rates, quantitative easing. So 2022, when you reverse both of those, you get higher interest rates and also quantitative tightening. You're essentially letting the air out of the balloon. So you get the reverse happening. So it's not surprising. But in, in many ways, when you look at the effects on the market and the effects on market structure, I actually think you know, ultimately, for the long term, it's actually healthy for the markets, especially the bond market. So, you know, in terms of our outlook for 2023, I think 2023 is going to fare better. That doesn't mean that we're necessarily out of the woods yet, but we are entering what I would say is a new investment regime. So, you know, since 2008, I would say the market was driven by zero interest rate policies, quantitative easing. So, I think you know, in a market like that, it favored. You know, more risk taking favored companies that were able to borrow cheap and you know rely on debt 
the new investment regime, since we're going to get sustained higher interest rates, we're going to see kind of more defensive growth companies with cleaner balance sheets. So think of factors like low volatility and quality. I think those are going to fare a lot better. Uh, but just in terms of you know 2023, I think we're we're a whole lot more optimistic. I think inflation is trending in the right direction, as you mentioned, which means that the Fed and the Bank of Canada are likely closer to the end of t- uh, their tightening cycle. On the flip side, you do have some recessionary risk growing. But compared to 2009 and 2020, when we came out of those market bottoms, you know those were driven by stimulus, where you know coming out of those market bottoms, you really have this pedal to the metal kind of effect. I don't think we're going to see the same kind of acceleration off of that bottom. But I think ultimately for the long term, uh, when you look at the valuation in the market, I think you have to be cautiously optimistic at this point. There are a lot of pockets in the market that do look uh, relatively attractive at this point. So Alfred, we're recording this in the final days of December, right before the holidays. We've we've just recently gotten inflation numbers in from the Bank of Canada and from the Fed. And as we start the the new year, as we kick things off uh, for 2023, do you think that we're going to see that that pause and tightening that everyone's looking for? I think so. I mean, you know, when we're on the roadshow, um, you know, we were calling for a pause in interest rates probably in the early part of 2023. Uh, we still see that. So when you look at the numbers, the CPI numbers that come out of the U.S., uh, 7.1%, so still very high, very high compared to the target ranges that they're trying to get to. But overall, they're trending in the right direction. You know, several months ago, when you looked at the inflation data coming out of, out of Canada, a couple of months ago, I would say Bank of Canada had an upper hand compared to the Fed in terms of, you know, where they were in terms of taming inflation. But when you look at the CPI prints out of Canada over the last three months, essentially been flat at 6.8%. So no big improvement there. I think the silver lining, however, is that when you look at the month-over-month numbers, uh, the last month-over-month came in at 0.1%. So when you annualize that number, it actually comes in lower than that, you know, target 2% rate. So I think, you know, that's that's definitely a good sign there. Um, however, you know, we've always kind of cautioned, you know, we've always said CPI is not necessarily the most accurate measure. There's a lot of stickiness, as you mentioned, in terms of that calculation, especially with a lot of those mortgage numbers. Um, but you know, usually when you raise interest rates, it takes about 18 to 24 months for those interest rates to really take into, take effect on the economy. So we're still seeing the effects of you know, even the first rate hike. So um, when you bake in you know, the inversion of the yield curve at this point, the supply side healing that we're beginning to see, I think it's probably prudent that you know, both the Bank of Canada and the uh, Fed probably pauses in early 2023. So the next Bank of Canada meeting is going to be January. Uh, the next Fed meeting, we don't get it until February. So there's going to be a lot of inflation data that comes out in between then. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see a pause, not necessarily at the next meeting, but the one after that. I wouldn't be surprised to see a pause there. Now, Fred, you mentioned uh, in the last quarter in the Q4 portfolio strategy report, but also, as you mentioned, in our fall roadshows, that you think we could be entering an era where bonds are really attractive. And we're at the point now where we haven't seen bond yields like this in 15 years. So that takes us back to pre-financial crisis. 
our uh, balanced model portfolio in this quarterly strategy report, we've been running with a, a 50, 30, 20 allocation. Um, but this quarter uh, for Q1, you've actually increased the fixed income weight um, in the model portfolio. Uh, so I wanted to ask, do you think we're returning to a more traditional 60, 40 type allocation? Would you say that's in the cards? It's a good question. I mean, you know, I think the 60-40 model, you know, definitely was broken over the last, you know, five, even 10 years. Um, definitely was broken in 2020. But, you know, just with the introduction of all the additional asset classes that we are getting at this point. Um, so things like gold, long short strategies, things like preferred shares, that definitely has allowed investors to get a lot of different exposures in their portfolio, which weren't available, you know, 10 years ago when a lot of investors were running with a 60-40 portfolio. So I would say, you know, the 60-40 portfolio probably um, gets, um, you know, becomes more effective over the next 10 years. But ultimately, if you have all these additional tools at your disposal, um, it definitely, I would still probably still go with the 50-30-20 model. You still have the options of, you know, getting those non-correlated exposures into your portfolio. But overall, you know, just going back to your point on, you know, the golden era of bonds coming. I would definitely say that if you look at the market outlook for bonds, it definitely looks a lot better. For the first time in a very long time, you know, bond yields look very attractive at this point. You know, over the last decade, when you look at yields on bonds, it hasn't been attractive. But when you look at the setup that we've been seeing in the bond market right now in terms of yields, very similar to what we saw in 1982. So when Paul Volcker was essentially, you know, taking the helm of the Federal Reserve, Hopefully not to the same degree, given that he raised rates to 20% twice. You know, hopefully we don't get nearly close to those levels. You know, as we mentioned, or as I mentioned, we probably get a pause at some point in the new year. But when you look at, you know, yield to maturity on corporate bonds, for example, you know, probably getting pretty close to getting a 7% yield on corporate bonds or yield to maturity. So at that point, you know, I, I'd say a lot of asset allocators, fixed income potentially outcompetes equities in their portfolios, fixed income essentially looks more appealing than equities at this point. So we saw this in the 70s and 80s when you know yields were high, people were allocating to bonds and the price to earnings ratios on equities were essentially a lot lower than any other period. So that's that's essentially the challenge with equities. But you know, as I mentioned, we're still very constructive of equities. But overall, when you look at bonds and equities, um, I think over the next year, year and a half, uh, fixed income definitely looks very attractive at this point, which is the reason why we increased our weight in bonds in our um, portfolio strategy. So we've definitely seen a lot of inflows into the fixed income space over the last year. And I would say that most retail investors have been hugging the short end of the curve and turns out rightfully so, um, you know, using products like ZCS, which is our one to five year corporate bond ladder for Canada and ZST, which is our ultra short term bond ETF. And, and those yield to maturities right now are hovering around the 5% mark. So we are, though, starting to see some institutional investors allocate to the long end. So I'd like to ask you, how, how would you recommend positioning fixed income at this point in time? Well, it's a good question. I mean, you know, you're definitely right that advisors definitely hug the short end of the curve. They typically do. That tends to be their comfort zone. 
But 2022, you know, overwhelmingly, they were hugging the short end of the curve uh, more so than ever. And I think for good reason. I think, you know, when you look at the yield curve, it was pretty flat for much of the year. So there's really no compensation for taking on duration risk. The negative correlation that you usually see between long bonds and equities really turned positive for much of 2022. So it didn't really benefit from, you know, a mitigation perspective in terms of, you know, offsetting equity market risk. But, you know, right now, when you look at the inversion of the yield curve, there's a number of institutional clients that are allocating to ZTL, which is our long-term U.S. Treasury ETF. And the reason why is because, you know, they essentially are seeing the inversion of the yield curve and they want to start, you know, positioning for a recessionary environment or a potential recessionary environment uh, right now as well. So we've been advocating for a barbell strategy. Um, we started advocating that, um, I think, in July in our third quarter portfolio strategy report. I think that's a good way to play it right now. I mean, essentially overweighting uh, credit on the short end of the curve by using something like our uh, short-term corporate bond uh, ETF, which is ZCS. You essentially allow yourself to maximize yield on the short end of the curve, but then you offset or complement that position with ZTL, which again is our U.S. long-term treasury ETF. Um, so that way you get to hedge yourself against recessionary risks. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned, the correlation between long bonds and equities is still positive. But I think as the year progresses in 2023, we're going to see that positive correlation between long bonds and equities start to break. So 75 uh, short end to help reduce volatility and maximize yield and 25% then um, in long bonds as, uh, as a recession hedge. So let's shift gears now. Um, we'll chat about equities. Looking at the S&P 500 and, and the technical patterns, what do you think we need to see in order for this downtrend to break? It's a good question. I mean, you know, you bring up a good point. When you look at the S&P 500, it is trading very technically at this point. So when you look at the, the price performance of S&P 500 and you basically connect all the highs in 2022, it's basically a perfect downtrend. So when you look at 2022, it's really just you know a lot of false rallies that was met with a lot of lower highs, which is a very bearish signal. Um, but you know, for the S&P to break above, break out of this pattern, I think essentially you need the Fed start talking a lot, little bit more uh, dovish, which I think we're going to get. Need their language to change in terms of you know talking more towards um, getting close to ending its tightening cycle. And you also need CPI data and inflationary data come in better than expected as well, which I think we're going to see. Um, so I think if we break above that, the good thing in terms of factor positioning, I think you know sticking to things like low volatility and, and again, quality, which we highlighted at the beginning of the call, is a good way to play this market. And uh, traditionally, we have had those as our, our core equity exposures in the model portfolio. And then we've complemented that with sector ETFs. Um, so looking at things, you know, through that sector lens on, on the equity side, um, any changes for Q1 so far this year to the model? Anything that you would highlight, Alfred? Yeah, so the, you know, significant change that we did was we shifted some of our weight in our uh, U.S. banks ETF, so ZBK, which is our equal weight U.S. banks ETF. Uh, we moved some of that position into the Canadian Bank ETF. Um, so we already had a position in Canadian banks, but we're just you know adding to that position, which is uh, ZEB, which is the equal weight Canadian Bank ETF. And the reason why we like Canadian banks more is just um, just in terms of how they're managed. Um, you look at tier one capital ratios, 
significantly higher than you know what Basel III requires and also what OSFI requires as well. Um, so there's a lot of capital buffer. But in addition to that, when you look at Canadian banks, um, you know you look at uh, a lot of the reasons why they've been underperforming. It's because you know capital provisions were written up. But when you look at non-performing loans, it's still relatively low at this point. You know, 30 to 50 basis points of the total loan portfolio. So a lot of that bad news has been already priced in at this point. And when you look at dividend yields, still very attractive as well. So we like Canadian banks, you know, more than U.S. banks at this point. So keeping with the sector theme, you mentioned in the quarterly strategy report um, that gold is on your radar. So maybe just chat with us a little bit about why that's the case. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, gold is something that's been, you know, ebbing and flowing over the last year or so. Faced a lot of headwinds in in 2022. And and the reason why is because the strength of the U.S. dollar. So uh, for the front half of 2022, uh, the Canadian dollar was probably the one of the few currencies that kept pace with um, the U.S. dollar. And this is because of, you know, both the Fed and the Bank of Canada were tightening. So at that point, you know, both of them were rallying against other currencies. But as the Fed started tightening more so than the market expected, you really start to saw the U.S. dollar um, start to appreciate more than other currencies, especially when they revised their dot plots um, in the third quarter. So that created a lot of headwinds for uh, gold. But at this point, you know, when you look at where the Fed is compared to other central banks, especially, you know, the ECB, it looks like the Fed is much closer to finishing its tightening cycle compared to other you know, central banks out there, which I think is going to be good for gold. Um, I think that means the we're going to see a little bit more softness in the U.S. dollar, uh, which you know uh, usually a softer U.S. dollar tends to be good for gold, and that's the reason why we have you know things like our equal weight gold ETF uh, ZGD and our junior gold ETF uh, ZJG. I think those are something to potentially put on the radar at this point. And speaking about the the CAD USD relationship, are you suggesting that uh, people consider hedging back to Canadian dollars at this point after the strength we've seen in the US dollar in 2022? I think so. I mean, you know, when you look at where the US dollar typically tends to trade, uh, it tends to get as high as, you know, 140. Um, this morning, it, you know, the Canadian, the US dollar was trading at about $1.36. So it tends to be in the higher range of where you know, the U.S. dollar trades versus the Canadian dollar. And as I mentioned, I think when you look at where the Fed is right now in terms of their tightening cycle, it looks like they are closer, uh, even compared to the Bank of Canada at this point. You know, just as I mentioned at the top of the call, uh, when you look at the inflationary data out of Canada, um, tends to be a little bit more mixed compared to the U.S. So if anybody had to prolong their tightening cycle a little bit, it's probably the Bank of Canada versus the Fed or more so than the Fed. Um, so for that reason, potentially you get the Canadian dollar outperform in 2022. So that's a good reason to move back to a hedged position when you're looking at U.S. exposure. Certainly a very important consideration for Canadian investors. Uh, so last but not least, Alfred, uh, you've mentioned you're constructive on the market in 2023. So maybe you could give us a quick recap of some of the key reasons for your optimism. But I also want to follow that up and have sort of a two-part question here. Um, and, you know, maybe you could share with us one of the, some of the key risks that you're keeping a close eye on as we start the new year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, the optimism really is to do with uh, where we are in the tightening cycle. As I mentioned, I think 
the Fed and the Bank of Canada are probably closer to um, at least you know the end of their tightening cycle or at least taking a pause at this point. So I think that's going to be great for risk assets in general. Um, I think uh, even with the inversion of the yield curve, um, that probably means that we are going to get some recessionary risks. Um, but overall, you know, I think the tightening cycle is has been the major headwind in, in 2022. So that's going to abate. So I think that's going to be the main reason why investors should be positive for the markets. But also when you look at valuations of the market, there's a lot of pockets within the market that are trading, you know, very attractive at this point. You know, Canadian banks is one that we mention often. But even when you look at the broader markets, um, I think the valuations on you know the S and P TSX, for example, and the S and P 500 are getting to pretty attractive levels at this point. But in terms of risks, um, you know, the major risk that we see in the market right now, I think you know China is probably the wild card in all of this. Um, you know, we stated a year ago before the world opened up that when the market comes back online, demand is going to come back online before supply. You know, the way to think about this is that it's easier to buy something than it is to make something. Um, so usually when an economy opens up, you know, demand pops and inflation starts to pick up before su- supply starts to catch up. And then inflation essentially, you know, starts to um, abate at this point, which is what we're seeing in North America. So China, when they reopen up and depending on how they opening up, um, I think inflation potentially pops right off the bat, which, you know, the danger is that if the Fed starts seeing this, are they going to overreact and then bring back, you know, things like jumbo rate hikes um, back on the table? Um, you know, one thing that a lot of investors bring up is that China tends to be, you know, the manufacturing hub of the world. So when they do open up and get things online, I think that's going to be good for inflation. Um, but at the same time, you got to consider that they have become pretty large consumers. So think about global real estate, think about commodities, they tend to be pretty large consumers as well. But net net, I think when they do open up over the long term, it's going to be great for bringing down inflation. So um, that's our major concern, you know, at this point. But overall, you know, we'll we'll cap off by saying that we are cautiously optimistic about 2023. Uh, we like fixed income, but you know, when you look at the technicals and the sustained higher interest rates that we're probably going to get in 2023, you know, things like quality positions like ZUQ, which is our U.S. quality ETF. And ZLB and ZLU, which is our Canadian low vol uh, Canadian equity ETF and our US low vol ETF, I think those are good core positions to have in the portfolio. So thank you so much, Alfred, for sharing your views with us as, as we head into the new year. Uh, I would invite all of our listeners to check out our quarterly strategy report and its model ETF portfolio. So I'd like to wrap it up there. As usual, we have covered off um, an outlook on every single asset class just about in 20 minutes. So thank you so much uh, for that, Alfred. You're a true master of your craft and it's, uh, it's very appreciated. So I would wish everybody a happy and healthy start to 2023 and a prosperous and successful new year. Thank you for tuning in. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. ETF Market Insights has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.